Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Adriana Tika. Adriana is the owner of Ideas to Power Your Future. She is a strategist, a writer, a trends forecaster, and entrepreneur. So she wears a lot of hats, often at the same time, and claims she can write with the speed of an overly caffeinated squirrel. I don't know how fast it is, but I imagine it's pretty fast. So today we are going to talk about newsletters, among other things, but she has a very popular newsletter, and I want to dig into it with her to find out what makes it so popular. Maybe she'll even share some tips with us about her process. So let's jump right in. All righty. Adriana, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. This is going to be fun. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for having me here. Especially 7.30 at night, your time. I mean, and where where are you based? I'm based in uh, Bucharest, Romania. Well, most of the time I travel a lot too. So I'm a digital nomad of sorts. But right now, yeah, I'm uh, coming to you live from Bucharest. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because it's uh, it's late your time. So I appreciate it, especially because I know I would be so exhausted at 7.30 my time. I, I don't know if I could even do an interview. So, <laughs> so I appreciate it. But the reason I, um, obviously we found each other on LinkedIn, which is where I seem to find everybody lately. And uh, because that's where all the cool kids hang out, right? So yeah. yeah. And you talk a lot about newsletters and I was fascinated about it for a couple of reasons because I've always had a newsletter. It's always been a bit of a struggle for me. And I subscribe to your newsletter and it's very different than any other newsletter that I get in that I'll tell you, I took your newsletter and I plugged it into my word program and it's 2000 words. And I thought that's like the, it was actually was 1,982. This is the one about, um, how many hats are you talking about wearing different hats? I think it was. So, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about how the newsletter came about, how long you've had it, a little bit of the history and, and how it became kind of your specialty? Sure. Uh, I'd like to start by saying that not all of them are that long. I think my current record stands around 2,200 words, but typically they're below 2,000 words. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it's full of value. So it's not like I'm, you know, complaining. It's a lot of, it's a lot of good stuff. But anyway, yeah. Thank you. I try not to assign word word count limits to it. I started this newsletter after uh, having run my uh, agency for eight years or so. My agency was founded in 2015. I have a digital marketing agency that's focused on content writing, copywriting, and strategy. So after eight years of doing this, I wanted my own space that has my own name on it, not a brand name, and where I could talk about topics that matter to me, not to my clients. You know, my team and I, we do a lot of content, we do a lot of copywriting, and I started to feel this need of writing about things that matter to me from my own perspective without uh, fearing how this is going to impact my client acquisition for my agency. What are people going to say if I start talking about how SEO is no longer the best thing to do with your content because we sell SEO content writing services and so on and so forth. 
I started the newsletter exactly one year ago. I just, oh. uh, last week I sent my anniversary issue. It's been a great place for me to explore my creativity in different ways with completely different constraints. Mm-hmm. How did you start? Like, do you have, was there a particular kickoff topic that you're like, I'm going to definitely start with this is what people need to know most. Do you remember what your thought process was? I knew I wanted to write about long-term growth, about uh, building a sustainable business, not about the latest fad or the latest growth hack, because there are tons of newsletter newsletters about that. Right. And trust me, I've tried every hack under the world. None of them works if you don't have a solid foundation. Exactly. So this is the broader topic that I wanted to write about, how to build a solid foundation, how to do the things that don't scale at first, so you can eventually start trying various growth hacks with, again, with varying degrees of success. But uh, this is my goal. This is uh, what I talk about most often. I talk against bro marketing and following people into buying your products, even though they're they're not exactly a great fit for them. Overall, I'd say I try to strike a balance between uh, building a sustainable business and also doing it the ethical way. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a couple of terms I wanted to just clarify. You said bro, bro-ish tactics, like, and I've heard of this bro marketing term. What do you consider bro marketing? First of all, aggressiveness and trying to claim that uh, your solution can fit everyone. I'm sure you've seen those claims online when people tell, uh, tell you anyone can build a business in one month with this simple hack and you'll get to 10K months in three days and so on and so forth. Con- contextless claims, unsubstantiated claims, all of them are part of bro marketing. If you tell me you're able to 10X my business within a month, I want to see four case studies, independent reviews of your work and so on and so forth. I'm not saying these things ca- can happen. Maybe you can build a, a seven-figure business within a year. But show me that you could do that before uh, before trying to sell me an expensive coaching program, you know? Right. It sounds like every like pitch slap that I get in the DMs is like, I can do this. And usually for me, it's my podcast. I can, you know, I'll put you at the top of all the... You just, it's not that easy. I know I've been in business a long time and it's never as easy as it sounds. And a lot of times the people that are able to do that have some kind of a background that you don't know about or... You know, I, I talk about a, a business coach that I used to work with years ago and a, a lot of the testimonials he got for people on his, for his coaching results were people that I knew were already established. You know, one had a TV program. So yeah, she's going to have a six figure launch, right? I mean, but they leave that part out. It's like, oh, my first launch, I made six figures and you know, it just isn't. Absolutely. You know, I did one thing on LinkedIn where I uh, went to every big creator's profile and if they had a post where they spoke about how they managed to build a huge audience on LinkedIn within three months or so, I started asking them, but what's your background? And uh, what was your support system? I've met a few people who said, I was broke, I had uh, no income, and within three months I'm closing 6,000 deals. So I started asking, what did you do while you were broke? People opened up, you know, they're not they're not trying to downright lie to you. They just leave some things out. And right. all of them told me, I have a great support system. I have a very I have a partner that supports me. Or I used to run a digital marketing agency. I have a huge background in 
sales, in tech, in, uh, I don't know, a huge pre-existing network. So, of course, you were able to build a business, but it's not from scratch. You think it is from scratch because you just bought the domain, but it's not from scratch. And you have these college kids who fall for it and, uh, you know, they say, hey, Mark didn't even need a college degree to start Facebook. So I'm going to do that because I read three hacks on LinkedIn and it's <laughs> got to work for me because this guy did it and he seems reliable. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, and the, the worst part about that, it's bad enough that they do that. But the worst part is when people do it, they can't succeed and then they feel like they're a failure. And it's just, you're com- you're not comparing yourself to somebody who is in your situation. You're comparing yourself to someone who had an advantage in a way that they're not telling you about. And that's, and that's, you had also brought up resorting to FOMO. So the fear of missing out, is that what falls under that kind of thing? Or what did you mean by, by that? Yeah, absolutely. When, when people tell you that you have to start now, if you're going to make it big on LinkedIn, you have to start now because the algorithm is changing and it might be already too late, but hey, you still have a tiny window you need to take advantage of. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, FOMO is a, is a big part of, uh, of bro marketing. You see all these tactics where, you know, they run a free webinar and half of it is an upsell and you have this downtown, uh, the countdown timer, sorry. Oh, oh okay. Countdown yeah. timer. That screams at you, you have to buy it now. And if you buy it now, you're going to get a huge discount, but you have to press the buy button within the next five minutes or the discount goes away forever and you cannot afford to miss that. Right. I've recently seen someone who tells, who uses the same tactic. They tell you, you have to buy it now. You, you only have 10 or 15 minutes left. But if the buyer says, the prospect says, but I can't afford this. I, I don't have enough money right now to, to join your program, although I want to. Uh, they tell them, oh, but we're partners with a financial institution. We can apply for a credit card for you. And wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, I haven't heard of that one. That's a new one. That's yeah, it was a new one for me too. <laughs> You know what I think it is? Because I've talked to people about um, behavioral science and behavioral psychology, you know, as it relates to marketing. And there's a fine line between, you know, using some of these strategies in an ethical way and then overstepping that boundary. And, you know, if I'm like one of the worst things, I bought a a PDF. I forget what it was. It was some kind of marketing thing. And it, in order to like, so I paid it was like $17, but I don't know this person. I wanted to try this thing out. It was, you know, inexpensive. To get to the page where you actually download it, you had to go through no, and I'm not even exaggerating, like three pages of all kinds of upsells and pop-ups. And I kept scrolling and scrolling. And I'm like, I don't want any, I didn't read a thing because I knew what he was doing, but it was like the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And I'm like, how do people really respond to that? You know, and so just they getting do. back to the, the newsletter, what, what is it that you like, where do you get ideas for it? Like, so you said that you like to focus on helping businesses grow. Um, is that like, how do you get your I- ideas? Well, uh, mostly from LinkedIn. I, I talk to a lot of people either via DMS or I, read the comments I get on on my posts very closely. And a lot of people ask questions. Uh, they say, okay, you suggested that we can repurpose content, but how can we do that? How can we do that? And there you go. It's another topic for another issue. And this week, actually, I, I prepared a, a survey, a couple of questions that I want to ask my subscribers, and I want them to tell me 
what they want me to write about, you know, what they care about, what they need to know, what topics we could explore so that they they feel supported in their in their growth. So uh, I think the um, uh, the short answer is I pay attention to what people talk about, mm-hmm. especially to what they what they talk about on my wall and on my feed, you know? Yeah. And what's great about that is that you, so you're really addressing the people who are probably subscribers or if not, and they see you're talking about it in your newsletter, they're going to subscribe. So do you have a particular format for your newsletter? Like I noticed that even though I was, you know, joking around and, and I mean, I know some of them are long, they're not all long, but you break it up in a way that's easy to read, right? Is that, it's got to be intentional. I mean, you do that. Is there a particular format that you follow or do you change it with every newsletter? Like you have images, you'll, do you have videos? I'm not sure if I've seen a video. No, maybe a link to YouTube, but nothing embedded. So no, I've never used video. Whenever a photo is relevant, I'll add it. It's usually graphs and statistics. I don't use AI generated images, for instance. Typically I try to provide a theoretical intro, so you understand the concept in detail. And then I'm going to to give you the practical steps to apply it. For instance, I had an issue about psychological ownership, how to make your users and your buyers feel that they, they have a stake in the products and the services that you sell. And of course, I'm going to lead with examples. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to explain what psychological psychological ownership is. And then I'm going to tell you how to use it because maybe you don't have the the same business model that Spotify does. And, you know, Spotify sends those uh, recaps. You can see what you've listened to throughout the year. And then you feel more invested in your Spotify account and you're going to renew your subscription. But if you don't have that kind of business, it's maybe it's a bit harder to create the same, the same feeling. So I offer practical ideas and advice on how to implement concepts that may seem complex, sophisticated, or perhaps not necessarily relevant to your industry. And that's, yeah, it's interesting because just today I posted, it was actually a repurposed post, but it was so popular the first time about marketing speak. And you commented on it because people use words that don't really mean anything because they're just thrown out there. They sound good. You know, it's epic. It's life-changing. It's, you know, and they don't like, tell me what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean? And even like you had said, you know, the 24 seven, what I find with that is when companies promise that it's like, you can reach out to us at any time. We're not going to get back to you for another day. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, what does that even mean? Even that, or then, um, or the worst, and this is getting more and more rampant is when they have the chat box and you can't reach anybody. I I had to go through this recently and I think it was like a healthcare platform. I really needed an answer. And they just kept looping you through all these different things. And when you really need an answer, who, you know, and you have that, if you say 24 seven, it better be, you you know, I want an answer now. Somebody better wake up. I don't care if it's two in the morning. It's like (laughs) doing that. Yeah. I think that uh, that's also a big issue with bro marketing. If you promise something, you better deliver it. You know, if you say you have 24 seven customer support, deliver it. I, I know I'm free to send my messages into a void anytime I want to. <laughs> That's not what I'm here for, you know? Right. And my, my biggest pet peeve, for instance, is with 10x people who promise to 10x your anything, you know? Show me the case study. 
Tell me mm-hmm. whose business you 10x before. T- tell me where they started because they st- if they started at ten dollars per month, it's very easy to 10x it. You know, right? So exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you have like a dollar, it's like well, ten bucks. Now you just you just 10x your year. <laughs> you only had a dollar last week. So, what is um? You said that like you. It's even in your bio in LinkedIn. I forget how it's worded, but you talk about like no BS or no non sleazy copy. So do you have tips and how do you write like non-sleazy copy that's still convincing? So it still converts. So of course, pretty much everything we write in marketing has to be clickbait to a certain extent. The, the dictionary definition of clickbait is that it's something designed to get people to click. We usually think of click, clickbait as something that promises, but doesn't deliver. You know, you see those uh, titles in tabloids, you won't believe what Rihanna just did. And you open the article because, oh my God, it's the most recent scandal. And it turns out she just painted her nails pink instead of the usual <laughs> red or whatever she uses, you know? <laughs> it's really not a life-changing story for me right. or for Rihanna. But uh, as long as you can substantiate your claims and you can deliver on what you promised, this is no BS and no no, no non-sleazy copy and, and marketing in general. And another thing that I that I like to do to make sure that I walk the talk and I don't fool my subscribers into buying my products, even though uh, they're not a good fit for them, is I add um, a block of text that sa- that starts with uh, "This product is not for you if this mm-hmm. helps uh, them pre-qualify themselves, and it also helps them understand uh, if the product really is for them." or is not. Ironically enough, it also builds trust. I've had a lot of people email me and say, hey, you sell this pre-written email sequence, but you say it's not for me if I use a corporate tone. So my business uses a corporate tone, but we're looking to change that. Can I still mm-hmm. buy it? You know, they're trying to, <laughs> you know, to overcome the objections themselves. Yeah. And this is a way to boost credibility, but also to make sure you only have happy clients. Right. I know we're usually focused on making the sale. I want to pat my bottom line. I want to increase my revenue to 10 exit, if you will. But a long string of ill-fit clients is not going to help you in the long run. Yeah. I mean, the money is nice. We all like money. We all like, I don't know, good wine, good cheese, whatever boats your float. <laughs> but uh, but um, at the end of the day, an ill-fit client is going to make you question every future product or service that you think about launching. It's going to chip away at your self-confidence and at your ability to, to create products and services that, that match your, your audience's needs. Hey there, fellow copywriters, entrepreneurs, and B2B marketers. Before we dive back into the conversation, let me introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena. It's called Lead Feeder. Now we can all relate to the struggle of identifying those elusive website visitors and turning them into valuable leads. But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts? Yes, I'm talking about Lead Feeder. Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time, and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Lead Feeder is not just a tool. It's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. So what sets Lead Feeder apart? Well, it's the ability to provide detailed insights into visitor behavior, 
helping your sales team prioritize efforts and close deals faster. With customizable notifications, lead scoring, and GDPR compliance, LeadFeeder is changing the game. So if you're ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals, head over to leadfeeder.com for your free demo today. That's L-E-A-D-F-E-E-D-E-R.com. Don't miss out on the future of successful lead generation with Lead Feeder. And now back to our show. Exactly. And also the, that also pertains to clickbait and email subject lines. I yeah. hate, and I've talked about this on other episodes too, where, you know, there's the ones where people start, they'll have, you know, RE, right? As if you've had a conversation with this person and you mm-hmm. haven't, or they'll lead you in. Because the thing is, once you get into the body of the email, when you see that it's, you're being misled, it's, you're not just going to delete it, but you're going <laughs> to, if you're like me, you get angry and you just, block them or I send them to spam. You know, it's just like, if, if this is the tactic that you want to, to have me use, you know, cause there are products. I just had someone today that um, sent me a very quick cold email and it was about something about my podcast about how to, you know, get better guests or whatever it was. It was relevant to me. And he said, do you want more details? And I said, sure. I mean, not all, you know, cold emails and pitches have to be like that. Like he, I forget if he mentioned that he had listened to my podcast, but you know, just be honest and be upfront. Don't, don't try to, you know, mislead people. And then they're just going to get annoyed with you. So I don't see the point, you know? Yeah. um, And, uh, you know, someone, someone who says they can help you get better guests, they, they make a realistic promise. They don't tell you they're going to triple your, your listens overnight with this simple hack that you can implement right right away. (laughs) Exactly. And if you don't, this is going to expire in five minutes. Yeah. So I don't know. He just said, ask me if you want, you know, respond if you want more details. He didn't even say, you know, actually he said, um, respond if you'd like to hop on a call. And I said, can you please send me more details before I hop on a call? Because I don't want to get, you know, I, I mean, it, if he's on, on the level, it'll just be, okay, this is what we do. Cause that's what I want to know. What do you do? And how do you do it? Like you said, what, what proof do you have that this is going to help? And who have you worked with? And it's even like as a copywriter, I get that. You know, what have I done that relates to what my clients want or they need? You know, what are the results that I have? And the one thing I haven't done yet as a case study, I have a couple of people in mind and I just haven't written them up. And it's it's one of those things. When you're a single entrepreneur, it's like I try to do everything and it's it's a uh, oh I know it's like the, the cobbler that has no shoes. <laughs> I looked at my website the other day. I said, oh, this page, I've got to redo this whole page. And it's like, do I take it down? Do I leave it up till I can improve it? And, you know, but it's, it's a constant progress. It's a process. So, but where do you find um, people to sign up for your newsletter? No, you post on LinkedIn. Is that where you get most of your subscribers to find you? Yes. Uh, A day before my newsletter goes out, I write a, a teaser. I tell people what the issue is going to be about, what they're going to learn. I uh, always plug in a testimonial or a review oh, because yeah. social proof. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's where most of my subscribers come from. Other channels are the the ConvertKit Creator Network. I also do a lot of cross promos with uh, fellow newsletter operators. I'm starting to expand into Twitter because I used to have, I'm sorry, X, <laughs> because yeah. I used to have a big audience there, but uh, I kind of left them high and dry. I stopped posting during the pandemic when my agency got way more work than we could handle. So I've stopped any 
type of self promo. And uh, well, now they're punishing me for it, so I, I get almost zero traction and right. on ads. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. I have big plans for for twenty twenty four. I want to expand the chan- the number of channels I'm on. I want to do more, more podcasts. This is very meta. And yeah, I, I'm a strong believer in diversifying your channels and not putting all your eggs in one basket and not building your house on rented land like social media, right. for instance. So, right. no. That's always the biggest argument of building your own list is to to have, you know, it's yours. I mean, no one can take it from you. I mean, there were those sites, the um, social media that shut down. There was um, a couple of them. I mean, not just Clubhouse, because that one, I don't know if that one shut down and people just lost interest, but there was other ones um, that were super popular for a minute, and then people put all their energies into it, and they're no longer around. So, yeah. Yeah, tough. that's what I, what I ask my consulting clients when they tell me they want to focus on a single channel, and I say, okay, that's fine for now. You don't need to expand to a new channel every week, but what would you do if all you had today was your Tumblr account or your MySpace account. MySpace. You know? That's a blast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's like, it brings back memories. I think I was on there. I, I don't think I did a thing on it, but. Well, awesome. Well, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your newsletter so people can subscribe right from the podcast. And where else can people find you? So I'm on LinkedIn on uh the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, where else? I'm building my Instagram account right now. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Well, any links that you have, we will put in the show notes so people can find you wherever you are. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you too, Linda. And that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions. And for even more copywriting exclusive tips, be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.